Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. My guest is Marianne Story, CEO of Dorset Mind, a pioneering charity that has been supporting people with mental health challenges since 1945. Through various wellbeing programs and support groups, Dorset Mind educates and challenges stigmas and inequality and promotes recovery by empowering individuals to develop resilience. Marianne is a former trustee of Dorset Mind and has had an extensive and varied career within the charitable and care organisations. She joined Dorset Mind as CEO in September 2017 and is passionate about changing the way we view and talk about mental health, whether that's at home or at work. The past 18 months have been particularly challenging for everyone and as a business owner it's brought its own unique stresses that many of us are still going through or recovering from. I therefore wanted to sit down with Marianne and discuss everything around mental health, how it's defined, how to maintain it and how to promote a better mental health within your team. So in today's podcast Marianne discusses the mental health effects that Covid has had among business owners. The first word that comes to mind is burnout, particularly business leaders of uh, smaller businesses where the person who is in charge, the owner, the, the founder, you know, it's all on them. Gives insight into how business owners can engender a culture of mental health awareness in the workplace. It always starts from the top. So if the CEO talks about their mental health, then their senior leadership team will. And if they do, then their middle managers will. And if middle managers do, then the employees do. And that's how it works and she has important views on the mental health of the current generation. I think, I think young people have a, of this generation have a set of challenges that we've never seen before, so it's very difficult to judge them for it because we, we, we don't know what it's like. If you want to know more about Evolve, or services we offer, our peer groups, our coaching and development programmes and our events, or just subscribe to our weekly insights and join our community for free, then please go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Marianne. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hello. Good to have you on the podcast. During the course, hopefully, of this conversation, we're going to find out a bit about you, find out a bit about Dorset Mind and the great work it does as a charity, but also you know, a little bit about good mental health, what that means, how that impacts on business leaders and their teams. But let's start with a little bit of a discussion around you and put into context um, how you've ended up where you are as Chief Executive of Dorset Mind. But I see that you originally trained as a physiotherapist. So how do you go from a physiotherapist to uh, being the Chief Executive of Dorset Mind? Well, it wasn't a linear progression. No, these That's, things generally aren't, no, are not they? I didn't decide to just go from one to the other just like that, but... I think when you work in a field like physiotherapy, um, it becomes apparent quite quickly, really, that if you that you can't just treat one problem of a person, and actually, yeah. somebody's mental condition 
quite often underlies their ability to recover from any, anything really and a lot of things that I came across in my physio life actually questioned whether the, the mental well-being of the person was actually underlying quite yeah. a lot of what was going on for them but but also it helped me I think to really learn how to analyze not just people but situations so there's a kind of way in which you would diagnose a condition that has taught me how to kind of look at life somehow yeah. and so that that sort of skill moved me into a a management and leadership and and then I over time I think I just developed a bit of a passion for mental health I yeah. I have some lived experience myself so I had postnatal depression when I had my first child mm, so okay. I know what it's like to yeah. not only have a mental health condition but to recover from it yeah. fully so I became very passionate about um, the message around you can recover from a mental health condition yeah. and um so when the opportunity for Dorset Mind came along it just seemed like a perfect for me just I just couldn't, couldn't not do it so definitely and do you think it's really important doing the role you do to have that lived experience I do actually because um, A I think it gives me real compassion for the people who we support and try yeah. to serve um, and I can but, but I think more importantly one of my real missions in life is to change the way we talk about mental health mm and try and address the stigma around it. And I think because I've had my own experience, I'm very open about talking about it. Yeah. You know, I, it starts from the top. Yes. Uh, you'll hear me repeat that today, I'm sure, with <laughs> some of your other questions. But it starts from the top, and I think people need to start talking more openly about yeah. it and how they feel about things and their experiences and their difficulties. And I think the more we open up that conversation. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I suppose we've sort of gone off at a slight tangent already, but, you know, that... <laughs> That thing around stigma and mental health, is, yeah. is, there's a big barrier there, yeah. which seems to be sort of coming down brick by brick. Yeah. But how do you see it working in the mental health field? It's a really tricky one, and I think it affects people differently. Yeah. Um, I think generally speaking, it, it's seen, you know, if, if you talk about struggling with something or you're crying or depressed, it seems a weakness somehow. Mm. Yeah. So it's not been on a level with physical illness. No. But it affects some people more than others. So if you come from some some with a minority background of some kind, yeah. whether you come from a, a minority ethnic background or you have a disability or you are from a kind of poor demographic area, the stigma can be worse within certain communities. Mm. Um, so I think it depends a bit where what your life experience is, but well as I say for me it's all about talking about it yeah and, and being open being open yeah yeah but that can be easier said than done can't it absolutely especially if within your family or yeah. your workplace it doesn't get talked about or in some cultures it's just completely not yeah. acknowledged at all yeah it, it, it is difficult and that's uh, that's the challenge we're up against as a society I think it is definitely and again we'll go into explore that in more detail I'm sure during the course of the conversation but mm. Coming back to Dorset Mind, do you want to give our listeners just a bit of a background to Dorset Mind as a charity and what it does and its purpose? Yes, certainly. Um, so we do three main things. One, one is, um, one of our real missions is around educating people about mental health. So making sure that people understand what it is, how they can recognise it if it starts to deteriorate and how, where they can go for help. Yeah. So that that's really at the big number one. The second is around campaigning um, t about the stigma around mm. mental health, but not just stigma, but inequality. Okay. 
so you know people again from minority background communities um, don't have the same access to support around their mental health as other communities do and even when they do they don't get good outcomes so there's something about really campaigning for people to get the support they need and then the third thing is just about directly supporting people when they're struggling so we we provide a range of support options for people from group support to -to one-to-one support coaching counseling that sort of thing fantastic so kind of a whole range of things and in terms of those offerings and the service and the education how's that transcended and what have you seen happen as a result of the pandemic is you know is there a greater demand on your services now than there's historically been yes we've learned a lot from the pandemic (laughs) i mean this country was facing a mental health crisis already and in some ways the pandemic has fast forwarded that to reaching a bit of a head so that we have to deal with it but equally i think it's really helped people learn and understand more about their own mental well-being partly because they've had time at home to think about it And partly because it's become so high profile that you can barely have a conversation no. these days, can you, without something around well-being or mental health, you know, yeah. the Olympics being a really good yeah, example of that. Yeah, Simone Biles being a great example yeah, of that. Yeah, re- really good example. So, um, you know, the pa- we learned a lot in the pandemic. And, and so the increase we've seen for our services is about one-to-one support. Okay. So we carried on all our group stuff online. We, I think the word is pivoted, yeah, isn't it? Pivoted Just, it's a throw in some <laughs> jargon. But there's some cliches. So we, so we moved everything online, started running our, our support groups and everything on Zoom. And so there's some people who really loved that because yeah. it removed some of the barriers about mm. getting dressed, leaving your house, getting in a car, driving to a church hall you've never yeah. been before, walking into a room full of strangers, sitting down, admitting you've got a problem. That's a big deal yeah. for a lot of people. That is, if you're in a challenging circumstances <laughs> Absolutely. anyway. Yeah. So actually, just clicking on a Zoom link made access to our support much easier yeah. for a lot of people. So in some ways, that was really good. But on the other hand, a lot of people get a lot of benefit from being around yeah. physically other people. That's yeah. part of people's recovery. So it had it was a mixed bag. Okay. But people reaching out for individual support is where we've seen the real demand. Great. So, Perfect. So we've, we've had to ramp up a lot of what we do. And how would you... And I suppose that's only going to continue, isn't it? Because there is this challenge, isn't it? You know, we see it with the businesses we work with, see it within our own organisations. There's that challenge from being adopted, adapting now to getting back out into the real world nearly and life as normal in the chaos that it was, you know, coming out of a period of uncertainty. That has to challenge anybody's mindset, doesn't it? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, we've seen people talk about their mental health who you know didn't even know it was a thing before covid which in a way is really good because it means people are talking about it but i think the anxiety levels people are feeling Mm. around coming back out of being at home yeah going back into uncertain places not really knowing what's happening with the virus that that sort of thing and then reintegrating with other people it has been tough for a lot of people definitely so i suppose this is quite a big question but how would you define good mental health it's a good question (laughs) (laughs) i could spend the rest of the day talking about that and it is a kind of complex issue but i mean everybody has mental health obviously and everybody's mental health fluctuates so sometimes our mental health is good and sometimes it's bad so i suppose good mental health generally speaking is about being able to be resilient to mm. whatever life throws at you so if something bad happens you can cope with yeah. it so it's being able to cope 
being able to be resilient through life's ups yeah. and downs I think is a general description of good mental yeah. health that's good I it's think. not certainly not about being happy all the no. time or you know jokey and laughing and yeah gregarious because that's happiness isn't it that's not necessarily mental health that's and something every, else yeah well I mean and some every, people put a mask on don't um, they and that's yeah that's yeah could be the opposite of good mental that's health very true yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. so obviously business leaders have been challenged in the last 18 months but you know I think you've used that word resilience, which I, I love as you know as, as a term. And I think business leaders generally are, again, on the face of it, on the face of it, resilient. Mm. So, what challenges do you particularly see with business leaders and those that seek help from sort of Dorset Mind from the business community? Um, the first word that comes to mind is burnout. Mm. Yeah. So, particularly business leaders of. Uh, smaller businesses where the person who is in charge the owner the the founder you know it's all on them to keep yeah. this thing going especially through covid where it's been so hard yeah and we have this expression called the 3am club which is just you know those people who lie awake at three o'clock in the morning thinking what is what's this all about how am i yeah. going to cope what am i going to do i don't know if i can manage you know and that's a really really dark time for a lot mm. of people three o'clock in the morning yeah so bur burnout is about just keeping going, keeping going, keeping going. And yeah. people think that resilience is just keeping going. Yeah. And actually, it's really not at all. Yeah. But sometimes if you, the business is all on you, what choice do you have? Yeah. Or what choice do you perceive yourself Can it bleak at times, can't it? Because, uh, oh, you know, what really options tough. are exist? Really really keep tough. the plate spinning and yeah. get up and Just keep going forward, every yeah. day, especially if you've got a family that's depending on you yeah. or... You know, employees yeah. whose jobs and they're depending so on you. Sense of responsibility. It's a huge can sense of responsibility. A business leader, can't it? Yeah. yeah, and if things start to go wrong, then then you, you know the guilt and the shame and mm -hmm. the, you know they're very very tough emotions. Yeah. And this, you know, people in in this county who in the hospitality industry, for example, mm -hmm. you know, it's gone on and on yeah. and on. I mean, how some people have survived, I I don't know. Yeah, it, it's. So, so that would be my short answer to your question. Okay. Burnout. Burnout. And not necessarily recognising when when you're struggling until something bad happens. Yeah. You know, something physical. You know, when the body then says no. Yeah. Because you haven't been able to just sort of step back and take the time that you need to recharge. And do you think that's often, because that, that point clearly, when it's manifesting itself physically, that's too late, yeah. isn't it? But is that often what you see typically that people only will address the mental yeah. kind of health aspects yeah. when it has a physical impact? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a short answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but then when people do recognise that, they quite often then look back over their shoulder and think, actually, there were signs. Yeah. Now, now I think about it, I haven't been sleeping very well and actually I haven't been eating particularly well and actually this pain I've had in my back has really been getting worse. Yeah. And all signs that actually, yeah. um, you know, mental the mental well-being bit is being neglected yeah it's the piece and things mm. so as i suppose it applies to anybody in life but what are the signs do you think that people should learn to recognize that you know perhaps their mental health isn't quite what it should be and they should seek some early intervention yeah um, well, that's all the obvious ones. Yeah. I, I probably, don't, probably don't need to say all those, but you know, if people are withdrawn and start stop socialising and become disconnected and isolated, that that's an obvious sign. Yeah. But there are less obvious signs, and I think the thing to look for is changes in people's behaviour. Yeah. And as you quite rightly said, 
someone might appear to be happier because they're actually what they're doing is putting on a brave face yeah. they're they're pretending that they're not feeling what they're feeling or they don't want anyone to see it yeah or if someone suddenly started to uh, over exercise or has lost a lot of weight or something like that so yeah. that's what i would say is it's not necessarily always the obvious but it's the change the yeah. changes you need to look for that don't seem quite right okay. to you and they're the things that business managers, leaders, owners should be looking for as signs in their team? Yes, but it's not easy, no. actually, because us human beings are so good at hiding it. Yeah. And people, you know, so an obvious thing would be to look for ab absenteeism. You know, mm. people aren't showing up for work. They're always having Mondays off. They never, yeah. they always go home on a Friday afternoon or something like that. That's, or or a, long, a sickness on yeah. and off for various, lots of different reasons. A pattern starts to emerge. But there's a thing called presenteeism, which I'm sure you've heard of. But people, you know, they go to work, they sit there, they're not very productive. And that's yeah. much more, much more difficult mm. to see. So you might see someone's performance start to decline or um, perhaps their behavior is a bit odd. Yeah. And there's some of the warning signs. Yeah. But, but equally, if someone starts to overwork, you might think that's great as a yeah. business leader. But actually for the person, it's not a good sign. It's a sign. And you must work with lots of businesses and organisations and those that take mental health of their team seriously and do things well, what do you see those organisations do that make them stand out? It's a big difference between the tick box exercise and actually doing it properly, yeah. actually, because um, it's one thing. So, so one thing is training, obviously. Yeah. So you would bring an, an organisation like Dorset Mind in to run training and we and there's different levels of training. So I think first you would train your senior leadership team yeah. so that they really understand what the issues are, but also how it can affect the bottom line. You know, mm. if you've got people in your your company who are present but not working, that's costing you money, but you might not really yeah. know it. So there's a there's something about understanding the situation, but there's also something about then training your cohort of staff to support each other and how to have conversations with mm. each other, how to be open about their mental health. But you can't do that if you're really going to do it properly without then alongside that making sure that people know where to go to get help. Yeah. Because it's all very well saying, oh, we need to talk about it, and we do talk about we do say that a lot at Dorset yeah. Mind, and that is a really really big thing. We must get better at talking about yeah. mental health. But when people do, you need to know where to send them for yeah, help. Where's the signposting? Yeah. Yeah. So if someone comes to you and says, "Actually, I'm really struggling." You need to tell. You need to know what to tell them to do. Yeah. So some businesses will will put in support groups or counselling yeah. or peer support or something like that. So so that's what the the really good ones do. Yeah. Within the company, other others just make sure they know the signpost to GP yeah. or other sort of talking therapies and that yeah. kind of thing I mean I've, I've done I because I, I agree it needs to you know come back to that term you used you know it starts from the top so I've mm. done my mental health very good first aid course and I was astounded by it because a it increased my awareness and knowledge yeah but what I got from it was actually I don't need to solve the problems I need no. to be able to act in the appropriate manner yeah when presented and yeah. yes see yeah. and realize some of the things that are out there and some of the the signs yeah and then i need to be able to direct somebody to get the appropriate yeah. help yeah and you know that was the outcome really and i didn't know what yeah. to expect during the course but yeah um but yeah and i, I suppose that every organization needs to find their own rhythm and way of yeah, dealing with it. we've got a couple of individuals here that are 
you know, really um, have been open and honest, you know, about their own stories and their mm. own dialogues. And they've set up, you know, lunch clubs. So yeah. let, let's just go, let's sit down and have lunch and have a chat about how we're really feeling type mm. stuff. Mm. So I think, I think when you, as a leader, that's great when people in, in a business want to do that. And I, for me, it's about embracing that and encouraging that yeah. and not being too dictatorial about it either. Absolutely. Because yeah. people have got to chat and talk, haven't they? And Yeah. And and it's very difficult for business to, to understand the kind of economics around that because they think, well, if they're sitting chatting, <laughs> yeah. they're not working. Yeah. But actually, if you don't let them just sit and chat, they're pretending to be working because they're yeah. not getting what they need from, you know, for their well-being. So it is a tough one. It's a balance. <laughs> it, it is a balance. Clearly, it's the stigma thing, isn't it? There's still this issue, though, if you're the employee, how do you speak out? Yeah. And because there is that stigma, and am I seen as being weak? And yeah. what's the vulnerability to my role and my job? Mm. I, so I suppose there's not an answer to that one directly, but any thoughts on that and how an employee might be able to stand up and, and how a business leader should react yeah. if they do? Well, of course, if that employee has heard their boss speak yeah. about their mental health, yeah. that makes it much easier for them to go to them and say, actually, I heard what you said and I, yeah. I have that too. So it always starts from the top. So yeah. if the CEO talks about their mental health, then their senior leadership team will. And if they do, then their middle managers will. And if middle managers do, then the employees do. And yeah. that's how it works. Yeah. And then if that's backed up with policies and procedures that really state about how they support yeah. the employee with their mental well-being, and it's really clear... And you create a culture where it's okay for yeah. people to say, I'm struggling. But it is tough because it does require flexible HR policies, which people aren't used to no. having. You know, you break your leg, you're off, you come back, that's it. Yeah. If you have bipolar, sometimes you're really great, sometimes you're not. Mm. And for a, a kind of absence management policy to be able to handle that is quite hard. Yeah. And for a tough. manager to really understand how to handle that is hard. Yeah just I suppose that's where the education piece comes into play absolutely it? and practice yeah. you know you just have to get in there and start doing it and practice you won't always get it right but at least yeah. you have the right intentions and I suppose that's where if I think about smaller businesses micro businesses entrepreneurial businesses they have an advantage because it's far easier to treat somebody yeah. as an individual yeah in those kind of businesses absolutely. than it is in a corporate isn't yeah it? absolutely where the, perhaps it's more that tick box yeah. exercise. Yeah, we've got a long way to go we have. there in the way that we work. Definitely. And um, we've had a conversation a little bit around well-being. Um, so any hints and tips on creating, you know, what does well-being mean to you? And some hints and tips around creating better well-being? Well, there's a really tried and tested evidence model around well-being. It's called the five ways to well-being. Okay. Uh, every employer should know about it. I try and teach it to my children, but they still eye roll at me okay. when well, I'm gonna learn roll it out now. at the kitchen <laughs> table. So the, fi the five ways to well-being are about being connected. Yeah. So making sure that you're connected to other people in whatever way works for you. Yeah. So whether that's social media one day or going to a AA meeting another or whether it's yeah. in your workplace, it doesn't matter as long as you're connected to other human beings. The other is about being active, yeah. whatever that might look like. The third is about, we, we call it being mindful, but that's become a bit of a kind of... Bit of a cliche. Bit of a it? cliche. So really what we mean by that is making sure in your life you have activities that really focus your mind so okay. that you're not always inside your own head. Yeah. 
So whether that's knitting, cooking, water skiing, mountain yeah. climbing, it doesn't matter, but something that really needs your concentration so yeah. that you can kind of calm your heart rate and focus and be in flow with something from yeah. time to time. The other really important one is about learning, so making sure that you're feeding your brain with new material yeah. and learning new things, new language, new recipe, whatever that might be for you. And the fifth one is about giving. So. Um, doing something for other people, making sure that your life isn't always entirely focused around yourself. Okay. So again, that brings your thoughts out of your own brain, but also something there's something very positive about doing something for somebody else. It's a good feel-good activity. Okay. So those are the kind of five key pillars. Okay. Um, so developed by the New Economic Foundation, so evidence-based and really easy to... Yeah kind of remember and kind of tick through your day and think have I have I ticked all have of those done boxes a bit of everything today? today or yeah. where have I been short where do yeah. I need to pick up yeah but some things will cover more than one obviously so yeah. if you play football for a team you're connected you're learning something new you're being active yeah. you're being mindful so actually some things do everything yeah. it is so. I suppose for me yeah I, I, I say it often in the podcast but I'm you know, cycling so if I go on a 50 60 70 mile cycle that's the exercise but yeah. I know yeah it nearly becomes meditative that I'm just paddling and, yeah. and my mind gets yeah. a chance to rest. Yeah, so it probably ticks a lots of boxes. Sort of I expect thing. you do it with other people. There's yeah. probably a community around what you yeah. what you do. So really, things like that really good for you. Really right. good for your mental well being. Brilliant. So that I mean, talking about business is you know that's another really good thing the business has been doing, setting up those kind of groups where that ticks all those well being yeah. boxes. Yeah. I'm pausing for thought there because that's something we could do within our businesses. <laughs> yeah. It's because it, those five pillars are so simple, aren't they? They're so simple but so effective. Yeah. And, and so adaptable so you can really kind of make it bespoke to yourself. It's not a prescribed kind of... No. And it's not all about either meditation no, or... No, no. I mean, some people things. find meditation really useful but for you, your cycling's your meditation. Yeah. You know, I have a similar thing with cycling and you know cooking i sit there and stir my onions and garlic and it's really mindful so yes yeah, you make it's it your whatever own. works for you absolutely bespoke yeah love that that's really good um so a lot of people also talk about going out to nature yeah. is that something that you relate to or is that absolutely something that just fits the individual and if it works for them I think nature, well, again, there's a lot of evidence around nature yeah. and mental well-being. Um, and I think that's for a lot of reasons. What, I think one is that it really grounds you to reality, doesn't it? Yeah. And connects you with the earth and just takes you out of yourself, makes you realise that there's something out there much bigger than you. So it kind of helps you get things into perspective. But also it ticks that mindfulness bit, doesn't it? When you're yeah. focusing on the bird song or the trees or the light or the colours, then you're not inside your own head you're probably being active yeah so i think nature is one of those things that ticks a lot of boxes um i mean i personally love a lot of metaphors that nature can uh, okay. teach us things about you know growing things and tending to things and yeah. nurturing the soil putting compost you know there's a lot of very mental well-being metaphors yeah. going on with nature so I, I like that but i think it just ticks a lot of boxes brilliant and you've done a lot of work also as a charity with Dorset Chamber with yes, the Got Your Six yes. campaign. So that's exciting. Very happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. And are you, that's clearly increasing awareness within the local business community of yes. mental health, mental health awareness yeah. and all those things. Yeah. So it's kind of a multi 
multifaceted thing that because I mean one one of our ambitions as I've said is around education and training people and and you know the general population spend a lot of time at work yeah. don't they so by getting two people through employers is really important yeah. for us but as we've talked about recognizing that the employers themselves need support need the support so you know it's a double double pronged thing yeah that right. and and it's a community we you know we want to be really involved yeah. in Brilliant. So it's a superb, it's a fantastic initiative. As far as yeah, I well, I hope it's the start of a, a you know an ongoing relationship. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a really, really good way that we can all spread the word and yeah. role model really good practice. And again, it starts from the top, isn't it? Educate Absolutely. top yeah, down. Yeah. There Absolutely. we are. Here yeah. we go again. Yeah. Um, I suppose something you should also explore, you know, and statistics unfortunately stand this out, but men and women tend to have a, oh, historically, have had a different <laughs> approach to their mental health are you seeing that still and and what differences do you see and you know what can be done more so that you know men yeah. and women do approach mental health from the same perspective yeah so i don't want to get into trouble for making any too many sweeping generalizations yeah. <laughs> it's a difficult subject i understand but but Unfortunately, it is borne out in the statistics. Suicide rates in men are considerably mm. higher than yeah. in women. And so, isn't it? Frighteningly so, particularly around men between 40 and 59. It's a very, very worrying statistic mm. for this country. So we cannot ignore that men tackle mental health differently to women. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, not wanting to generalise too much, but obviously women traditionally have Talk, talk more about yeah. how they're feeling they get support from each other they talk openly about their it's that connected bit of your five pillars yeah probably, I, I guess so yeah and sharing and kind of counseling each other through yeah. their kind of natural tendency to talk about things yeah but i don't know that that's necessarily because our brain chemistry is that different i think it's that stigma bit again that yeah. actually men are seen to be weak if they talk about alpha male their, kind yeah, of syndrome absolutely yeah. and, and this this kind of view that men should be strong and man up and not yeah. cry and not show their emotions, just keep going, keep going, you know, just stiff up a lip, whatever it takes, yeah. don't back down, you know. And I just think that's terribly hard mm. for men. And, and especially now, in a way, it's getting harder because we have that kind of really set idea about how men should behave. And yet, sort of, we also want them now to show their feminine side yeah. and be caring and do the childcare and have 50 50 responsibility yeah. in the house and so for men now it's like well which one of these yeah. am i Where supposed I to be yeah. you know i can't yeah. i can't do both and, and i'm running a business and i'm not really sleeping and you can really see yeah. why men are, uh, are struggling yeah and that's not to say that women aren't struggling Absolutely. it's just that you know you have to look at the stats to see that play out yeah and um so we, we have started a, a men's mental health campaign called Light On, which is about trying to encourage men to talk more openly about their mental health. But also it's about educating their families and the women around them to yeah. spot the signs in the men in their lives so that they can oh. also encourage the men to talk about their mental right. health. Because in some ways, men need to be taught how to have a conversation. I don't mean to be patronising when I say yeah. that. It sounds terrible, but a lot of men that we sort of have done focus groups and ask questions of they say well it's all very well telling us how to talk but I, 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 I don't know what I would say and if my mate said to me that he was really struggling yeah. I don't know what I would say to him or what I would do with that yeah 
So we call it beyond the banter. It's like, you know, hashtag beyond the banter. It's like trying to get men to have yeah. conversations that are beyond, all right, mate, all right, yeah. you know. And again, not wanting to generalise, but it, actually men have said to us, we just don't know what that is. Yeah. Don't know what it means. Don't know what to do with it. House, it would be embarrassing. Kids. Yeah, that's okay. We'd all and stare at on... our shoes and go, oh, yeah. you know. Let's go back to the banter. Let's too, go too back to football score and hobbies and forget yeah. about, yeah. And, and men aren't so good at reaching out for help either. So, you know, statistics around suicide show us that men obviously get to a, a really crisis point when they have difficult events in their lives. Yeah. So a relationship breakdown, a job, a loss of a job, a court hearing. And they genuinely get to a point I think, I do not know how to carry on. I don't, yeah. I don't know what the way out here is. Whereas women, I think, are more likely to say, I need help. Mm-hmm. Men somehow... Um, are more reluctant to actually reach out for help so we're also trying to make information really readily available so if you ever get to that point do this ring right. this number go to this place um, and it, you know it's a tough yeah. battle we've got a long way to go we're not going to change it overnight but yeah. we have to do something sounds like if we could do and it sounds like an amazing campaign the light on campaign yeah and I love that bit about educating those around yeah you know the families and others yeah. around men yeah to see and get the support and yeah. see the warning signs yeah well we talk about how i don't know if you've heard the statistic that one in four people have a diagnosed mental health condition so what we're saying is the other three yeah need to rally around yeah and support that one person yeah. and i think when you look at it like that you can see actually there's a role for me in this yeah i can see where my role is now. I can i can help can offer support i can yeah. be there yeah i can be the one around yeah. and do you think it's a jet with men and i suppose men and women do you think there's a generational thing as well that will hopefully you know people are more aware now most definitely i mean i think a lot of the issues are kind of post-war issues you know which you can completely understand where you know men had to just man up yeah and that filters you know the other end of that scale now is young people and young people we're seeing are way more open about talking about their mental health They're, they're all over it yeah which is great on the one hand because it's a much easier conversation to have yeah. on the other hand there's a lot of support we need to give to them because yeah. they are saying we are not coping yeah so that's good yeah but you can't yeah you can't <laughs> expect someone to put their hand up and then, and not then do nothing about it yeah that's yeah so yeah. it's definitely is changing so in a way it's this middle cohort of people yeah, who, who I like that. I can get that now. I can perceive that kind of post-war generation. Yeah, yeah. kind of our parents. Yeah, to them. You know, they don't. You talk to them about mental health, and like, oh, for goodness' sake, just yeah. get that's a grip. That's what they taught us. Yeah, pull yourself together. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what they taught us. That's why our generation is the problem. Yeah. So our children and their children, I think, will will learn to talk about it, and will will need a different kind of yeah. approach, which is more about support and education. But for us, we are our generation is the problem. Yeah. And what challenges do you see in that younger generation? I mean, the one that's often talked about is mm. social media and those kind of things. Do you think yeah. that is creating an issue? I, don't, I wouldn't say it was social media in and of itself is the issue. Yeah. I think, I think young people have a, of this generation have a set of challenges that we've never seen before. Yeah. So it's very difficult to judge them for it because we, we, no. we don't know what it's like. So I think on the one hand, social media could be kind of blamed for that because they're very exposed to a lot more information than any of us were when we were young. And 
Um, but on the other hand, social media it can also be a source of support for them. It can be their connectivity. It, you know, it can be the source of information about how to get better, where to find help. So, yeah. you know, I wouldn't slate it globally. I don't. It just brings new challenges it, it that does. we need to find it a does. way of supporting those challenges yeah. as they emerge. Yeah, and and I think you know what's never been taught in our school curriculum is a, to teach young people how to be how to build resilience yeah. so that five ways to well-being you know yeah. it needs to be taught alongside maths so yeah. that so that a seven-year-old yeah knows what to do you know they know to have five fruit and veg a day everybody knows yeah. that so just do Being the other yeah. exactly the other five ways to well-being so that when they're they hit puberty and then when they're adolescents yeah. and then when they're out to university and going to get jobs they they know at least small thing about how to look after themselves but we don't teach that in schools and okay it's going to be one of my questions actually do we have we seen the education system change to support mental health (laughs) no it's changing so we do a lot of work in schools yeah but uh, and there have been some improvements in particularly in Dorset actually for young people's mental health but it's not enough because the problem is so huge yeah. and, and especially with schools now you talk to schools now they are overwhelmed yeah. with mental health problems with their young people post covid yeah. i mean they were struggling anyway yes. but now um, you know it's 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 almost out of hand really yeah. you know the, the the hugeness of the problem Gosh. So I think they they can all see that they need resources they need help they need to be putting this into the curriculum yeah. They struggle to find time to do that because it's not dictated. No, it's, in it's, terms it's of not. Curriculum, no, as it is. It's not yeah. an Ofsted measurement. It's not exam yeah. results. It's not. So, you know, until that changes, because of course they are the genera- generation that we can influence. Yeah. Because they're the adults of the future. So, you know, I if I were the prime minister, that's where I'd put my yeah. money. But I'm not yet. Not yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> watch this space. <laughs> And therefore, if we come sort of full circle and talk about you and your role as sort of chief exec of, you know, the charity itself, what challenges do you face in that role? As an individual? As an individual. It can be quite a lonely role, and I think probably a lot of business leaders could relate to that. And so I have to make sure that I get my kind of connected well-being support, and I have to work quite hard at that. And it... you know, when, when the buck stops with you yeah. and your organisation deals with well-being, the sort of hard stuff sort of fill, rises to the top and so you, so you end up dealing with the difficult stuff. So I have to make sure I get my kind of talking therapy to deal yeah. with what I deal with every day. So that's really important. And I, and I do work hard at um, being physically active and making sure I have mindful activities. You know, yeah. I really do work hard at trying to practice what we preach yeah. because I know it makes a difference. Yeah. And I know if I don't do it, I do start to struggle yeah. because it's a tough it's a tough job being a CEO. I'm sure you yeah. can totally relate to that. Definitely. Um, but, but I mean, the, I think the big stress around running a charity is where the money comes from. Yeah. You know, that's what keeps me awake at night is can I pay the wages this month? Yeah. 
How are we going to this, fund this new yes, initiative? This yeah. grant runs out in three months. How how are we going to carry on supporting these 400 people that have yeah. really benefited? I can't bring myself to tell them we have to stop running it. Switch it off, yeah. So that churns around in my head all, yeah. all, the, all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and that's where your kind of board of trustees and your senior managers sort of have to... Yeah. where we have to kind of try and share that responsibility and I have to try not to personally own yeah. that. Take all the all weight the on time. your own shoulders all the time. But it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard, to. isn't it? It's, yeah. not, it's not straightforward. Yeah. No. no. So what are your hopes and aspirations for the charity in the sort of well, immediate I, years ahead? <laughs> I always joke that my ultimate aspiration for Dorset Mind is that we put ourselves out of business. Right. That we're so successful that we don't need ourselves anymore. Okay. That's a big, hairy, scary goal. Dorset communities are getting enough support from you know what's provided in the HS that they don't need yeah. all the additional things that we try and deliver, and that people know about their well-being, so they don't need. Yeah. You know, so but I'd say we were quite a long way off achieving yeah. <laughs> ambition. You sit there complementing the core services of the NHS, don't you? Which are yes. more yeah. delivery driven. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, actually, that is a very immediate focus that we have at the moment because there's a lot of change going on around NHS, new NHS yeah. reforms that come into play in April next year. So it's really important as a charity that we position ourselves really complementary to that so yeah. that we work really closely with GPs so that they know that they have more options available to them than just prescribing antidepressants or sending the yeah. patient away actually they can refer them to us and all our kind of peer organizations who who do other things in in mental health before they send them on to specialist services yeah. so we sit somewhere between the gp and and hospital yeah and we have so much to offer and what we offer is based in people's communities and so it's a, you know, it's a really positive story for GPs, but it's a new way of working that will come in next year. So that's what we're kind of aiming towards. Aiming towards at the moment. It's a very hot topic at the okay. moment. And I always end the conversation with a kind of a, a question around what, how do you define success? What does success okay. mean to you? Sleeping. Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to sleep at night because it means everything's kind of in order. Uh, what does success be, mean to me? Uh, I, I, I mean, I suppose I'm not entirely. I'm not. I am felt kind of serious about that. It's about being, having that sense of calm. So being in a place where you are not being kind of sidelined or curveballed mm. or thrown off route by anything. You know, you know that you have the resilience to cope with something. Nothing you know you can manage your emotions in yeah. a way that don't throw you off course because you can't stop them happening but you can manage them and just being calm that's for me is success fantastic great definition brilliant thank you for being a great guest on the Evolved City podcast It's true that mental health and mental health awareness seems a saturated topic these days, but it is my belief that we cannot talk and be open enough about it. We can discuss physical health, eating right, exercising and achieving work-life balance, but if your mental health is suffering, all of those other factors are somewhat negated. And so many of us depend on outward appearances to mask what's actually going on inside. 
And I really think that as business owners and just as human beings, we must keep striving towards a culture of openness and empathy, and so encourage and normalise transparency around those mental health discussions. I loved Marianne's five ways to wellbeing, those five simple but key pillars that can really help towards achieving better mental health. I'm certainly going to spend some time thinking of ways to implement and adapt them to both my personal life and my business. And my hope is that after listening to this podcast, it will inspire you to do the same. Thank you for listening. And if you do want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can register there for our weekly insights and newsletter, as well as learn about the services that we offer at Evolve, including our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, courses for teams, as well as our lovely co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul. And if you are a business leader in Dorset and Hampshire, then I'm really excited to be able to say that through the Dorset LEP and the Solent LEP, we have some fully funded peer network and peer group programs that we can offer to you. So if you want to learn more, again, go to the website or please call the team. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if so, please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing and listening to future episodes. Thank you for listening.